Let's pray together. Help us, O oh God. Open us to your unconditional love. Change our hearts and our minds. Open our eyes and our ears. Allow those places within us that rejoice in our own forgiveness but struggle when unconditional love is offered to others. Broaden our understanding this day. Deepen our spirit of humility and compassion. In the beautiful, everlasting name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord, we pray. Amen. Struggling with unconditional love. Jesus was confronted by a group of folks we mentioned last week. On this side of the stage, religious people who were very clear in what was right and what was wrong, and who was in and who was out. And on the other side of the stage with Jesus was this group of folks that the religious leaders had sort of lumped together, stereotyping them as sinners and tax collectors. Perhaps a group of folks who looked and sounded an awful lot like you and me. The overarching response that Jesus offers is really to the question that was lingering on the hearts and minds of both groups. What is God like, really? What is God's actual perspective on religious folks and people deemed to be unworthy? The story unfolds, we said, this story within a story. The setting, so important to keep in mind, Jesus responding to these religious leaders and their generalization of the folks they are looking down on. And the story within the story is a series of three parables that Jesus tells. We focused last week on the, the shepherd and the sheep, the woman and the coin, and we talked extensively about the first part of this third parable, dealing with who we know as the younger son, also referred to as the prodigal. In that troubling scenario, we were left kind of dangling, and a number of you came up to me last, during this past week, saying, so how does it end? What's going to happen? To which I simply said, that's why we have this coming Sunday. Show up this Sunday. So the question still lingers. How is this going to be resolved? So the younger son, he's come back. He's been graciously, enthusiastically welcomed by the father. Arms open wide. Both we said in this risky, amazing display that doesn't care what other people think. Running and surrounding and protecting and welcoming and kissing and reinstalling into the family through ring on a finger, robe on the back, sandals on the feet. 
official proclamation, this son of mine who was gone and we thought was dead is back, is not only alive, but one of us. Now remember, this son had written a speech. Who was he quoting? Anybody remember? He was quoting Pharaoh. And we know, in the way Jesus tells the story, that in fact this younger son who comes back is not repenting. There's nothing in his behavior or in the speech that he writes that indicates he's sorry for what he's done. It's not motivated by a contrite heart, but a hungry stomach. There is nothing in his attitude, demeanor, or words that let us in on the fact that this guy is sorry for what he did, how he treated his father, how he turned his back on his community, how he gave up his heritage, how he sold his land, converted it to cash, lost everything. He doesn't care still. And the father knows it. And yet the father somehow sees it in his heart to welcome him back with unconditional love. Which leaves us dangling, because the way the story ended last week, they enter into the house and they begin to celebrate. A party's going on. So the question is, what? What is this prodigal, this younger son, thinking now? What's going on? How awkward would it be if he's still his old nasty self and all these people are hugging him and kissing on him and happy and music is playing. What's going on? Well, we have a hint. A fellow by the name of Mr. Rembrandt gives us a painting that has some clues to it. Some of you have seen this before. It is a painting that Rembrandt brings in some details where he paid very close attention to exactly what we've been talking about, in this painting, we see some very interesting focal points. Rembrandt was famous for utilizing very delicate light colors to illustrate a spotlight. And it was the spotlight in the painting that was to draw our attention to the thing that was important. What Rembrandt does also is notice he leaves the face of the prodigal buried in his father's chest. You can't tell from the prodigal's expression still whether or not he is accepting his father's welcome embrace and he's beginning the process of repenting, saying I'm sorry, turning over a new leaf, all the things that we would expect in a story like this. Rembrandt picks up on exactly what Jesus does, intentionally leaving the story dangling. And here's why I think Jesus does that and why Rembrandt picks up on the nuance. When you've lived like this younger guy has lived, the stereotype that we want to make Something's wrong with this guy. What is his deal? I used the word last week, and I'm sorry for my language, but I called him a jerk. He went away as a jerk. He came back 
as a jerk. And you want to just say, what is wrong with this guy? But it may be this guy is just like some of us in this room. And the reason his face is in the shadows, it may be even still, he can't believe he's worthy of the unconditional love of his father. Sometimes there is this deep-seated voice inside of us that just says, you're not like other people. You're not as good as they are. You don't deserve what they have. What this father is offering you doesn't apply to you. You're just not good enough no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try. So you do weird stuff and you act like you don't care. And this father hangs in there with you, still with open arms, still with open invitation, still with open-hearted, welcoming spirit. Did the son get it? And then there's the second son. The story you see moves on. We're left with this celebration going on in the house. And the second son. Remember, these are religious folks Jesus is telling the story to. And religious folks have a tendency sometimes to just be a little pious. Sometimes we think we're just a little better than we really are. So I'm going to tell a story about Eddie. No, I'm going to tell a story about me. A few years back, in fact, it was back when my kids were small. We lived on Lorraine Avenue just outside of Washington, D.C. Lorraine Avenue had become a cut-through road for four corners where Colesville Road crossed over University Boulevard, and there were stoplights there that people didn't like. So they would take a shortcut right in front of our house, sometimes going 40, 45 miles an hour. Little bitty street that you shouldn't be going more than 15 or 20 miles an hour. So we got together, we homeowners, and we had the county put down three speed humps, which worked for a while. But I went out in my front yard one beautiful spring morning And I heard at the far end of Lorraine Avenue an engine racing. And I look up and I see this car flying down. It was an orange Volvo and goes airborne over the first hump, airborne over the second hump. And this deep-seated sense of righteous anger welled up inside of me. And I stepped out in front of that car in the middle of the road. And I stood there. And he slammed on his brakes And I went up to his hood, and I said through the windshield, what do you think this is? This is not a racetrack. This is a neighborhood with small children. Slow down. And that felt so good. And I felt so righteous, and I walked back into my front yard with my head held high, feeling mighty pious. About two weeks later, I was running a little bit late to a luncheon that Lois Harris was putting on at Twinbrook Baptist Church 
where I was supposed to be, and this was back before cell phones had even been thought about. I had no way of communicating, and I was anxious and trying to take a shortcut through a little neighborhood. And I was justified because I was not wanting to make Lois Harris mad. And so the windows were down. It was a beautiful spring day. And I heard as I was zipping through this neighborhood a parent say, What do you think this is? A racetrack? Sometimes we religious folk think we're a little better than we really are. Some would call that hypocrisy, where I call somebody else out for the very thing that I'm guilty of two weeks later. It took me a couple of weeks to actually figure out what I had been and how guilty I was. And so Jesus tells a story about a second son. The elder son was off in the fields. He wasn't aware of what had happened, that the younger son had come back. He comes over the hill, and he looks down, and he sees surrounding the house a bunch of cars and pickup trucks, and he hears this bluegrass music playing and people clogging. And he comes up to somebody who works in the area and says, what is going on in my house? And the fellow says, oh, you remember, remember that no good brother of yours? He, um, he's come home. And your dad has thrown a party. Now, this is troublesome to the elder brother for a couple of reasons. One is, remember, last week we said that Jesus is clear in the first part of this parable to let us in on the fact that when the father gave the younger son his one-third of the inheritance, what did he also do? It says, Jesus tells in the story, and the father divided the inheritance between them. In other words, the older son got two-thirds, made no complaints about the fact that this was happening, so now he walks over the hill, finds out a party's going on in his house. Somebody has used his checkbook to pay the band, buy the food, get all this stuff together. So already this elder brother is furious. He refuses to go in. And so, in fascinating parallel fashion, the father goes out. Now, remember last week we said that the father, waiting for the son for months and months, maybe years, standing in the front yard, looking at the horizon, when he sees his son, do you remember what he did? He did what elders of a community, older men in that day, should never, ever do. He ran. He broke all the rules of coolness and dignity. And now the father does it again. The father's job was to be in the house, again, acting dignified. Interestingly, the elder brother, his job is supposed to be standing at the front door welcoming the guest and then channeling them in the direction of the father where the father greets 
each one. The elder brother, though, refuses to go in. He's standing in the courtyard. So the father, again, breaking with convention, goes out. The parallel, he ran to the younger son. He goes out to the older son. And he begins to try to explain what's happening. And what happens in response is a shocking interruption. In English, we have it softened just a bit. But the way the scripture is worded, it is as follows. Listen, for all these years, I've worked like a slave for you. Now the phrase, listen, sounds like it's conversational. In fact, better translation for us in English is, shut your mouth. He interrupts his father. It's horribly insolent behavior. He's furious. I've been doing all this, all this time for all these years, and I've never disobeyed your command. And now, you're doing this thing for him. You never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Now, in our culture, this doesn't mean a whole lot, but for the elder son and the father, this is very important. If you're going to have a party in the Middle East for just your family, you have a lamb. If you're going to have it for a few friends and maybe a few cousins, you have a goat and you share that as a part of the interaction. But if you're going to invite the whole community and anybody in any way, shape, or form connected to the family, you kill the fatted calf. The older son's complaint is, you didn't even let me have a party with my a few friends much less the fatted calf. What are you thinking? What are you doing? What is wrong with you? And the father's response, most of us, mothers and fathers, at this point, the heat would have risen and there would be some kind of angry rebuttal, retort. Instead, the father's response is very calm, even gentle. It's this tender reminder, son, sorry, I went too fast, the other angry retort. It's a reminder of the father, his disconnection from the brother. This son of yours, I have no connection to this guy. This son of yours, this mess of a life, he's messed with your property, he's lost the cash that he converted the property to, and you kill the fatted calf for him. You never even gave me a goat for my friends. What is wrong with you? And the father's response, tender, gentle, son, you're always with me. You are a part of everything that I have. All that is mine is yours. We're in this together. 
And then the father's gentle reminder of the connectedness. This brother of yours, we thought he was dead. Yes, he's my son. You're my son, which makes the two of you brothers. No matter what you think of him, no matter what you think of yourself, you're still intimately connected through me and with each other. This brother of yours we thought was dead, now he's alive. We thought he was lost, but now he's found. Now, come into the house and let's celebrate together. Now, here's the other part of this story that is fascinating. The relationship between the two brothers, the father makes a point of reminding the connectedness. Now look, there's a party going on. Won't you come into the house and join us in the party? Let us celebrate together. Now Jesus doesn't really end the first part of the story. He leaves it dangling so that we're supposed to kind of figure out what would I do? What should I do? And the second part of the story, this elder brother, the question still dangles now. How are you going to finish the story? We're religious folks. We're good people. We do all the right things and try to say all the right things and be all the right places. And the question dangling for all of us, how easy it is to look at others just not quite as good as me. How are you, how am I going to finish this story? Jesus leaves this open-ended. What do you say? And what will you do? Let's pray together. Help us, O oh God. Recognize the incredible depth and breadth of your unconditional love. May we not only accept it for ourselves, but rejoice and hope and pray for the acceptance in and with and on behalf of others. In the beautiful name of Jesus.